I'm going to do something that they don't usually let you do in church. I want you to close your eyes and get comfortable. Close your eyes and get comfortable because I want you to imagine that you are one of Jesus' followers on that first Easter Sunday. You can take your pick who you want to be, one of the apostles or Mary Magdalene or Mary or Martha of Bethany or Mary the mother of Jesus or any of the other hangers-on, but imagine that you are there in the room that we just heard about. Now, you've been with Jesus for several years. You've seen the miracles. You've heard him talk. You've felt his love. But now you've just finished a roller coaster week of the crowd shouting Hosanna on Sunday and crucify him on Friday. And if you were too scared to follow him to the place of the skull to see him nailed to the cross, you know what happened. He's dead, cold, tucked away in a tomb keeping your eyes closed. Imagine what you're feeling as one of those followers. Sorrow, grief, confusion, despair, bewilderment, fear, concern for what's going to happen next, swamped with helplessness and hopelessness in a dark room with the doors locked and the curtains drawn for fear that any minute the folks who came for Jesus might be coming for you. So just for good measure, let's add terror and horror to what you're feeling. Keeping your eyes closed. Imagine, suddenly Jesus appears in the room. Now what do you feel? Some of those same things. Confusion and bewilderment. How could this be? Horror and terror that he might be a ghost. Add to that shock and awe, yet joy that it might be true. And then pile on a wave of guilt and shame because even though Jesus clearly said it three times that he would be arrested and killed but then rise from the dead, as Mother Tracy pointed out last week, nobody was there at the tomb waiting for him to come busting out. No, they're hiding with you in that room where Jesus has just shown up alive. And with every right to be really ticked off at the unbelief and unfaithfulness of his friends, because he was betrayed by one of them, denied by several more, and abandoned by all the rest. So keeping your eyes closed, imagine the tension and the suspense in that room. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? And now you understand why he opened with the words that he did. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. You can open your eyes. Jesus knew the hurricane of emotions that was blowing through that room among people that he loved dearly. And because he loved them dearly, that's why he said what he did. And he said to them exactly what he said to the Sea of Galilee when he was in the middle of a storm. Peace be with you. Now, I had you close your eyes and imagine all of that, not to set you up for a history lesson or to tug at your heartstrings or to make your eyes get a little leaky, but because every one of us in our life right now is feeling at least one of the feelings that those people felt on that first Easter morning. Some of us are in deep sorrow and grief over a loss. Some of us are confused and bewildered by our circumstances. 
Some of us are horrified and terrified by a looming crisis that appears to be on its way. And some of us have already given up to helplessness and hopelessness because that crash, that crisis has already crashed over us. Some of us are riddled with guilt and shame because of something we've done or left undone. And some of us, some of us are overjoyed because Jesus is alive. And into this hurricane of emotions that are blowing around this room, Jesus says to us exactly what he said to those followers that first Easter. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, if you have any kind of tension in your life right now, I invite you to close your eyes again, to take a deep breath, to relax, to exhale, Open your eyes and let His peace be with you. Now that's one reason we get together every Sunday. To give Jesus the chance to give us peace for at least an hour. To recover from what happened last week. To prepare us for what's coming in this next week. And if you don't pick up that peace simply by coming in here or from the music or the movement, or from the lessons or the liturgy, or from the sermon or the sacrament, or from our time in prayer, then at some point we're going to make it just about as clear as it can be when someone stands up here and says, the peace of the Lord be always with you. We want you. God wants you to have that peace. Jesus' first words, every time he shows up, our peace be with you. And if it's not your custom to be here or in some other church on Sundays, to hear that, to receive that, to feel that, please, please come here or find a parish family because that peace is available every week, but you must be present to win. Now, if you're thinking, I can't have that kind of peace, Tom, because you don't know what I've done or left undone. You're right, I don't. But Jesus does, and he still says to you, Peace be with you. Because no matter what you've done, or whom you've done it with, or whom you've done it to, Jesus took upon himself that sin and that selfishness and that mistake or that cruelty when he was nailed to the cross, and your sin was nailed there with him. And when he died, he paid your penalty. He paid my penalty. He paid our penalty. St. John puts it like this in Revelation today. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. On the cross, Jesus freed us from our sins by his blood. We don't have to carry around that guilt or shame anymore. Jesus says, peace be with you. Some of us are thinking, how can I have peace when I have this? And and fill in the blank with whatever Christ it is is, is that that you're facing. How can I have peace when I have this looming over me? But you know what? If God God can raise Jesus from the dead, He probably can handle whatever crisis you're facing. Now, I'm not saying that your issue is not important or not real, nor am I saying that it's automatically easy to get through it. But I am saying if God can raise Jesus from the dead, He can certainly get you through whatever it is that's going on in your life. So if you're in a mess right now, or feeling fearful, or anxious, or confused, or sorrowful, I can say to you, because Jesus says to us, peace, peace be with you. 
if you're not in a mess right now, or confused, or sorrowful, but excited that Jesus is alive in this Easter season, he says to you what he said to his disciples on that first Easter day. He says, as as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, aren't we glad that Jesus freed us from our sins by his blood and says to us, peace be with you. But if you weren't here today, or if it's not your custom to be in a church somewhere, you might not know that. Which means all of those folks that you know that don't have a church family of their own, they probably don't know it either. They don't know that God loves them and wants them in His family. They don't know that God, that Jesus can free them from their sins by His blood. They don't know that God wants to give them that same peace. They don't realize that if God can raise Jesus from the dead, He can deal with whatever mess is in their life right now. They don't know that. And they won't know that if somebody doesn't show them and tell them. Which is why Jesus says to us, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Because if we won't tell them, who will? You say, but I don't know what to say, and I'm not qualified to tell anybody anything. But yes, you do, and yes, you are. St. John, when he wrote, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, continued that sentence with, and has made us a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. See, as soon as you say yes to Jesus, God ordains you a priest. Now, no, you don't have to dress funny or stand up here or lead a parish family, but God has chosen and ordained you to do the most important thing that priests do. And that is to speak to God on behalf of people and to speak to people on behalf of God. To speak to God on behalf of people and to speak to people on behalf of God. And speaking to God on behalf of people is prayer. To pray for people that you know who are lost or lonely or hurting or hungry. To pray for them. God has chosen you to do that because that's what Jesus did when he was here. That's what Jesus is doing now. That's what God invites us to do as his priests. Speaking to people on behalf of God doesn't mean you need to knock on doors and annoy anyone or to stand on a street corner or here and preach a sermon. What that means is treating people with the kindness and the care and the compassion and the love of Jesus. And as you do, some of them are going to ask, why are you being so nice? And here's the answer. God cares for you and so do I. That's easy, isn't it? God cares for you, and so do I. Practice that with me. God cares for you, and so do I. It's easy. Or when they ask, how do you stay so peaceful? Or why aren't you anxious about the future? Or why aren't you bent out of shape about the president or the government or all those people lined up to run against him? And the answer is, you know, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, I figure he can handle fill in the blank with whatever it is that they're worried about. That's easy. But even if we can't remember all of those exact words, we're not left alone to answer those questions by ourselves. Jesus does and says to us the next thing that he does and says to those followers on that first Easter. He says, he breathed on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, before you go, ew, I know how my breath smells in the morning. I can't imagine what Jesus' breath would smell like after being dead for three days in a tomb. He brushed his teeth before he showed up that morning. Okay, 
But breathing on them is significant because in both Hebrew and Greek, the languages that the Bible was written in, the word for breath also means spirit and wind. The same word means breath, spirit, and wind. And when Jesus breathes on them, he's also blowing the wind of the Holy Spirit into them. And as he does with us, when he says to us, receive the Holy Spirit. Which means when we breathe, we can breathe in the Holy Spirit and breathe out our fear. We can breathe in the Holy Spirit and breathe out our anxiety. We can breathe in the Holy Spirit and breathe out our shame or guilt. We can breathe in the Holy Spirit and breathe out our grief or sorrow. We can breathe in the Holy Spirit and breathe out whatever else is unhealthy in our life until we are finally so full of the Holy Spirit that when we breathe Him in and breathe Him out, we share the Holy Spirit with other people as well. Now, a few minutes ago, if I said, if any of you have any tension, close your eyes, take a deep breath, relax, exhale, and tell, let His peace be with you. I did that because I know that Jesus is in the room right here with us now, and He's breathing on us so that when we took that deep breath... We were breathing in the Holy Spirit and breathing out whatever was causing that tension. And the more of the Holy Spirit we breathe in, the more Holy Spirit we have in us, which then empowers us to do those things that priests do. To speak to God on behalf of people and to speak to people on behalf of God. Finally, Jesus says to us the same thing, the same last thing he said to his followers on that first Easter. If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you don't forgive anyone their sins, they aren't forgiven. Now, Mother Tracy and Father Sonair and Father John and Mother Greer and all of us who are real priests and ordained priests, we are in the forgiveness business. It is our job to bless people, to say, God forgives you and the church forgives you and I forgive you. And it's a great gig, let me tell you. I love it. But it's not only us priests who dress funny and stand up here who have that authority and have that responsibility. We all do. Your priesthood as a child of God puts you also in the forgiveness business. And business is good. Because everyone needs forgiveness. Everyone needs to be told God loves you and forgives you, and I forgive you. Jesus frees people from their sins by His blood, and we get to let them know that's true. And by how we treat them. And when they come to us with shame or guilt and share with us something they've done or left undone, we get to assure them, God forgives you, and I forgive you. Peace. Peace be with you. Now, if what they've done or left undone was against you personally or hurt someone you loved, it may be hard to get those words out. I forgive you. And if you can't do that, if you can't do that, you can do what we priests do is back up and punt and pray for them what Jesus prayed for us from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because whether or not you have enough love in your heart to forgive them, God does. 
God does. So we can pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because they don't. They don't. Even if you think they do, even if they think they do, they don't. If they fully understand and understood the damage that they're doing to the people they hurt and to themselves and to God himself, they wouldn't have done it. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, even though we're not one of those folks in that upper room on that first Easter, Jesus is right here with us right now, doing with us and saying to us exactly what he did and said back then. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And he breathes on us. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. Jesus is generous and lavish and promiscuous with his peace and his power, and his mercy, and his love. Let's be just as generous, and lavish, and promiscuous with ours.